and welcome to the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. In this mini-series, we're profiling the people running in the riding of Wellington Halton Hills, which basically surrounds Guelph and has a very unique and different character from our political field here in the Royal City. And on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be talking to Green Party candidate Ryan Caro. It's not easy being green, the song says, and for the longest time, running as the Green Party candidate in any election was seen as slightly less of a longer shot than running for the Libertarians or the Communists or the Rhinoceros Party. Mike Schreiner proved Greens can win in Ontario in 2018, and while a green wave this election seems unlikely, there are at least a few green candidates who might stand a chance, and Ryan Caro might be one of them. Certainly, proximity's in her favor. Her riding is attached to Shriners, and she's had the benefit of a long runway after being nominated in January. But there's one big poll to vault, and its name is Ted Arnott. It's been said many times in this podcast already that Arnott is a formidable opponent. He won 54% of the vote in 2018, his eighth election, and he spent a remarkably nonpartisan four years in Queen's Park this last term as the Speaker of the House. As for the Greens, they've always had a tough row to hoe in Wellington, Halton Hills. The best Green performance in the riding was the first election after the lines were redrawn in 2007, when Martin La Victoire finished third with 10.25% of the vote, which was 20 points behind the second-place Liberal candidate. Conversely, Ted Arnott is not invulnerable. In 2014, he squeaked by with 46.68% of the vote, 16 votes ahead of his liberal competition, but much better than the 30 points he won with in 2018. By the way, Green candidate Dave Rogers got a little over 5,000 votes in that election compared to the 31,659 for Arnott. But the Wellington Halton Hills Greens might be changing the game with Caro, who represents a new wave of environmentally conscious leadership amongst people who are young and new to politics. Caro's first claim to being the right candidate at the right time is that her birthday is April 22nd, Earth Day. And as a young single mother, she's very conscious of the existential crises being faced by her children, from the climate crisis to the affordability crisis to the mental health crisis. If you look at her website, her team is mostly young, mostly female, and in her corner as an advisor and debate strategist is Mike Nagy, who, in a different universe, might have been Canada's first Green Member of Parliament. She's also got proximity to Mike Schreiner, which is something that's almost certainly going to come up on this edition of the podcast. Ryan Caro joins us on this week's edition of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast to talk about her long history as a Green voter, why she decided to run for office now, and why Green is more than a political party, but a strategy. She also discusses Ted Arnott's potential vulnerabilities, the lack of discussion about climate change in this election, and why it needs to be a leading factor when discussing all the issues in the race. And finally, we will talk about bringing some fresh thinking into government, her immediate priorities if she should win the election, and why we need to keep in mind that we are not in the same boat post-pandemic. So I caught up with Ryan Caro earlier this week via Zoom. Okay, so Ryan Caro, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I guess the first most obvious questions is, why did you want to run and why, why did you want to run for the Green Party? Well, 
<laughs> I could answer this question for like an hour, I think. <laughs> like, I'll try to give up some different answers than, than before. Um, I think people know at this point, I've been a longtime Green voter since a teenager. So it really resonated with me early. There seems to be a pressing moment right now. I see an opportunity. Um, a few things came to head for me mm. where we lived through COVID, many conversations with family and friends and moms and what works, what doesn't work, what can we change? How can we be part of change? Um, and, and this was one opportunity that came up where um, some moms that are part of my team all together, we were like, let's, do, let's do this. Let's, let's see, um, what we can make happen here. And, um, if we can, you know, help green party rise to the moment, which I feel like we're doing. And, um, there were lots of little moments. I mean, I remember driving in the car with my kids, probably around orange shirt day. And they had a lot of questions. And as I'm thinking about what's the right answer, what do they need to know? It kept going into what do they need for their future? What kind of heart do they need? What kind of bravery do they need? What, what do they need to know about the history to address all these, I'm going to say mess, but breakdown and, you know, issues all over the place, healthcare, education, how we take care of each other, how we take care of the environment. Like what do these kids need to know so they can be equipped to deal with what's coming down at them. And then I thought, or I could be part of solving it right now. You know, so I, I was like, maybe I should just deal with this, <laughs> you know, rather than, uh, than harp and harp on the kids. I had, a, I mean, and there was another moment where I kind of had a 10 year plan that I was right at the cusp of it completing. Mm. So my goals and my hopes, you know, for the last 10 years had kind of um, been completed and um, achieved. And I was in this process of designing what the next 10 years would look like and what would be, you know, involved in that. So um, having been with my husband's family business, Tim Hortons, for 10 years, um, and then we're separated now. So, you know, moving on to something that was true to my heart, special to me, um, I, and wanting to give back to the community. As I was designing what I would do going forward, I'm like, how do I want to help preserve the planet? How do I want to protect my kids? How do I want to get food to kids who don't have it or, or help at the old folks' home? Or, you know, how do I want to be part of all this uh, breakdown um, being solved, being heard. You have to see it, believe it, you know, feel it and be able to stand up and act for it. So I thought this is all lining up perfectly with what I'm about, what I want to do, and I'm going to give it, give it my all. So you're a planner then is safe to say. Oh, planner for sure. <laughs> so, you know, you talked about an overwhelming number of issues, um, mm -hmm. I guess the question then is, uh, and I was actually by sheer coincidence and of the situation, I was talking to Mike yesterday for his interview for another show. And we, we were talking about like the intersectionality of things, um, things like housing, things like climate change. Um, 
are you having, I guess, an easy time of it, like on the campaign trails, you're like talking to people about issues when it just seems like one issue leads to a big broiling mass of other issues. And you were kind of addressing that in, in what you were just saying this. Now you're thinking about climate change. You're thinking about uh, equal justice, uh, all of, you know, all of these things that, you know, your kids are going to be dealing with. Yeah. So my experience on the campaign trail right now has been really positive. I mean, I have team members that have been out canvassing for many elections before now. So they're quite experienced with the green response and the green feedback. And they have been so positive. They've come back and be like, Fergus was way more open. Georgetown was way more open. Like the general feedback is, I never considered green before, but I'm open to it now. So we've had an overwhelmingly positive experience out there um, where on some level, we're all so connected in that we're feeling this disturbance, this uprising, this need for urgency, and probably different people are looking at their different avenues of addressing it, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, politically, there's one way to address it. And then there's, you know, other groups and other other paths. But consistently, I would say people are experiencing it together and and not quite sure what to do with it. So I wanted to be part of giving people some confidence, some strength, some vision of like, let's rally. Let's, you know, we, I get it. Like we have had a hard go, right? Like just a hard, we have been pushed to the max in every way. Our system has been pushed to the max. Our parents have been pushed to the max. Our nurses have been pushed to the max. Our planet has been pushed to the max. We are living right at the max. And in those waves in your life, when you feel down or overcome by or overwhelmed by, you need those people that can come along and say, come on, we can do it. Let's go. We're going to go do this and just have some ideas and have some energy. My team is so energized. Green is so energized and ready to go. And um, really been working hard at this for a long time, which gives them resilience right? The party overall is resilient to keep coming back and keep coming back um, and and fine tuning things and working on things. And to me, it seems like the perfect moment, you know, for Green Party to be peaking or or really gaining the platform and the attention that I feel the party deserves and has for a long time. You struck on something there. People are kind of feeling that they want change. So they're looking for where they can put that change. I wonder in your area, how closely tied is that to the fact that Mr. Arnott has uh, been a sitting MPP since 1990? And is is it your feeling that um, change maybe starts with um, putting someone else in his chair? Absolutely. I mean, I certainly wanted to give this community the opportunity to choose change. Say here is a strong, smart, capable, ready to go candidate with a great policy at the great time. If you want something else, I'm right here. (laughs) You know, Um, the feedback has definitely been along those lines. A lot of conservatives saying, you know what? It's been 30 years. That's good. (laughs) You know, and it's not easy to do his role. It's not easy to have 
past that amount of time, but there is a certain amount of, uh, if you've not met people's needs and, or wants or, or concerns or issues, that's a long time to have that coming back on you at a moment where everyone is just sick and tired of it. Right. Right. So then there's also feedback of people don't feel represented by him being speaker of the house. So that um, was felt through COVID and, and people don't like that. That has come back um, as a theme of a, of feedback to us. I mean, there's always going to be a couple core people that stay in their, their party, but with the movement fresh into the area from people moving with the, we have so many more green issues than we had since, even since 2018, right. With, with sprawl, with protecting water, with protecting farmland, with, you know, a lot of the, the warnings the UN is issuing out to us and now climate change being clearly identified as the number one threat in the world. So here we are going, all right, where's that green party? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. So yeah. I guess though, you know, and maybe this is the media's fault for not uh making it a priority too, but you know, climate change, as as you said, it's it's the existential issue. We're getting new warnings seemingly on a weekly basis, but it doesn't feel like we're talking a lot about it in the campaign. Um, how do you feel being the carrying the green banner is are, have we made climate change a big enough issue in this election i think that it has resonated with people to the point that you don't want to overwhelm people so much with emergency with urgency you know there is urgency but you don't want to scare everybody i've worked really hard to create um connection in the community and awareness of how much green education is already here, how much green innovation is already here. What was previously green ideas is now live, right? There is electric cars everywhere. There's solar everywhere. There's geothermal everywhere. There's, you know, these are generating green jobs and retrofitting. So it's part of the steps that are hard steps to take because you're swinging a big population with a very traditional way of seeing things, a one way of seeing things for say the last hundred years, mm. and you're shifting it, you know, in a timely manner over to a new way. And people, I think are just deeply aware of it, how it connects to every piece. Mike talks about this all the time, right? It's the underlying connection to everything. You just don't have anything without it. And um, you almost don't need to hammer it at people anymore, right? but show them the way. Okay. What are we going to do? Um, I forget the name. I was reading an article in, in, in the, in Europe and he talked about 5%, mm. the, the benefit of shifting 5% to green technology, green spending, green awareness, you know, and there's, that says a lot for people's fear that they have to completely change everything to identify as green or be part of the solution. You right. don't have to change everything. We still want the regular, our regular businesses to thrive and we still want the jobs and we still want all that stuff. We're just 
tweaking, adjusting, moving, you know, so let's start with 5% and go in that direction. Pieces we can all do that's manageable change that has a plan and we'll see a result in a short amount of time. Like in our, I mean, in our lifetime, right? You're talking 10, 15 years, you're going to see almost all gas vehicles going off the road. Like it's crazy and exciting. Like I find it <laughs> exciting, right? But some people can be part of the change and some people resist the change. And I get it. It's hard. But the, when we don't go with the change and we have leaders that aren't comfortable with change, that don't have a plan for change, it is the ultimate failure. We can't evolve. We can't move forward. We can't adapt without people that are able to ride the wave of change. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny talking about EVs, talking about some of these things, which have been long-term Green Party ideas. And I'm sure you're aware on on the weekend, the NDP came out and said, we're going to double ODSP rates. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Green supporters were thinking, and I'm sure you thought it too, "Hmm, where did I hear that before? Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess this is a two-pronged question. Like, is it your feeling that the greens are sort of being maybe taken advantage of a little, you guys are, you know, setting the pace on some of these issues and other parties come along and are able to put these ideas forward. But on the other hand, I have heard Mike say, please steal my ideas <laughs> or steal right. our ideas. So, you know, We're team players at any point, anyone who wants to do the right thing is welcome to our pot. Okay. Right. Like being the smart kid in school and everybody wants to cheat off you. <laughs> But isn't that kind of hard to run on? You know, people love green ideas, but they're perhaps not assigning them to the Green Party. You know what? Maybe it's just what the transition looks like. And it's a certain way to bring credibility to it and confidence to it. And maybe the smoother path to transitioning to these things that are better for all of us in the planet are through non-divisive channels in which we do all agree, you know, yeah, let, let's do that. So it could be a vote of confidence. It could be some validation. It could be some teamwork. It could be a sign that we're going to get a, a group of people going in the right direction together. So as much as I don't think I give people enough credit that they will know where it came from and why it's important. And Mike is certainly giving the party a great voice for people to hear it, love it, be confident with it, be able to identify with it and, and, and applaud it and go with it. So. Well, you know, that does kind of open the door to, um, I, I think you would agree. Mike showed there was a way for green party candidates to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so what lessons have you taken from him as a candidate, but also I mean, what lessons are you taking from him as a potential representative uh, for your writing? Like how has, I'll, I'll use his term, uh, doing politics differently sort of had a had an effect on you in terms of the way you see the job? Yeah, I mean, it feels good. I, I was talking to someone this morning about, about running and, she, you know, she said, good for you. It's really hard to run in that. I said, yeah, if I don't, it only leaves one personality type who's able to kind of weather the cold storm, right? 
So Mike, I would say is that new, fresh, you know, diverse personality type who is a great guy, who is genuine, who, you know, um, maybe the politician you hope for, right. That, mm. that he's, ha- he's having fun along the way. It's not a show. Like he enjoys what he's doing. And anytime any of us enjoy what we're doing, you're aligning with just a great positive energy and people are drawn to that. Mm. You know, the theme across Canada, if you talk to PEI greens or BC greens, um, the positive feelings and the laughing and the I'm having a good time gives people so much more access to come in and talk about it and be part of it and enjoy it. Um, aside from the kind of previous tactics, right? Mm. So that's mm. been something that's helped with greens is to enjoy the ride a bit and, and be confident in what they have. I've always thought it's such a great policy just needs a little confidence behind it you know, Mm -hmm. especially when you're dealing with serious stuff, which. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, you know, it takes, it takes a lot for people to try something new for people to Mm. trust that change, especially when we've been somewhat conditioned to be fearful or to be manipulated by fear or divided by fear. So, you know, that's a, that's a one trick pony deal with our system, the government to trigger people's fear. And um, I don't know if people are like, hey, we lived through the worst, let's go, (laughs) you know, or something. But I think enough has been built now, whether it's foundation, whether it's evidence, whether it's um, cultural influence, way more than ever before, are we talking about Indigenous values and what, what, what they know from 50,000 years of being here, they have some great ideas, right? Right. You know, let's mend that would be a big, a big um, step forward, I think, in how we learn to save the planet and take care of each other and, and have a, have a more vibrant, seems like people have lost a lot of their vibrant life right people are commuting Mm. and people are tired and fast food and there's not enough in the bank and really drawn away from maybe some personal you know interest whether your passion or your heart tells you or your your hobbies or you know whatever that energy you know brings forward in you all the carrots that have led us, which it was interesting with COVID, right? All those carrots that have been dangled in front of us since we were kids, get a job, then you'll be happy, get two cars then you'll be happy, get married and you'll be happy, get the cottage and then you'll be happy, you know, be able to go to hockey games or, or, or whatever. And then all of it gone in COVID, right? All of it right? <laughs> stripped people right down to with, without the ability to numb out of the things that I don't like, what choices would I make without the carrot, without the, what's really important to me, people moved, people changed their jobs, people got divorced. I mean, people re-examined things on a deep level all at the same time, right? It's a crazy, amazing shift that we're living through that we're part of right now. And man, it would be so exciting to see our politics line up with that mm-hmm. and just bring some 
you're hitting on something that I did make a note of from your campaign site. There was a post about how not everyone was in the same boat during the pandemic um, and how this is something we kind of have forgotten. Um, You know, not everybody had the comfort of being able to work from home. Not everybody had the, that security. Um, People had relatives in long-term care who they couldn't see for months. Um, You know, at the same time, I am noticing we're, we're kind of in a mad scramble to get back to normalcy as well. So, I mean, given everything you just said, how do how do we hold on to that? I guess that embrace of of appreciating um, the way COVID might have changed us for the better, and not immediately run back. And maybe this is a political question too: run back to what we have usually done, um, where you know we we aren't embracing that change as well. Well, I mean. I hope it's enough to to push us into a new direction, because if it's not, we're going to have to live through a lot harder and worse, you know, before we before we get there. Um, I mean, it's it's natural instincts and comfort, right, to go back to it. Some people will choose that. Other people like myself, I think, are, are rising to the to the moment and will will come out changed and I enjoy that um, I appreciate that um, that shift in my life um, I guess we just don't know right like take some of us going pointing it out and like okay guys let's not let's not go back keep on going right you don't want to get three quarters up the mountain and go back down again right we just got a quarter left and we're on the other side let's keep going. You know, the interesting point is like, you can only lead the horse to water and you can't make it drink. But it seems now that more than ever, more people than not are, even if they're prepared to have a new conversation. Mm. How many times is a conservative saying, hey, I'm willing to look at green. That's amazing. That's massive, you know. So if you want to go back to everything else in your life, the exact same, but you might give me your vote. That's there's your there's your five percent shift that's going to create you know some difference going forward. Well, I mean, it's been pointed out that the the Ford government started out by tearing out EV mm-hmm. charging stations, and you know now Doug Ford is going to places where they're making electric vehicle parts and investing in EV charging stations, you you think he wouldn't, you think he invented the idea. All right. <laughs> That's a common, common, um, that happens a lot in our society where certain people take credit over and over <laughs> when it was in fact generated by someone else. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, is there anything in particular um again we we talked about how everything is kind of tied together but i mean issue wise is there something in particular you want to make sure that before this election is out you have kind of used your platform to maximize the amount of attention you can give this one particular issue what would what would that be well there's a recently as i've been thinking about policy i've been thinking about the people writing green policy And I think it's important for people to know they're young and they're spectacular. And these are the people that need our vote. 
you know, I, I have my job to do in this role, but I'm part of a team that's making incredible policy. They're brilliant and they're young. Um, I saw an old interview a few weeks ago with David Peterson, and he said, the most important person in the room is the youngest. Mm. That's who gets your energy. That's who gets your focus. That is the future. And I thought, great, that, that's great on, you know, great on him, right? Um, and I see that in our, I think it would be a huge missing for people not to know who's behind you know, a spectacular mental health policy. It's young people. And I mean, to address an issue, I mean, mental health, many people have acknowledged that mental health has been an issue for a long time and that it should be part of healthcare. When we deal with mental health um, impacts, breaks downs, how people mend their, their need of mental health, it's not while a trauma is happening. Right. It's after the trauma is complete, we go get our help and our support. At this moment, we are completely overrun with mental health and we're still just at the top of our trauma. So the amount of mental health that is coming our way is unprecedented. And I don't even, our hospitals are jammed. Our doctors are jammed. Our police officers is, you know, their top response. Like it is big now and it is on its way up. Mm-hmm. So every person on an individual level needs to have some thoughts about, do I need to check on my neighbor? Can I bring somebody a dinner? Like we're still nursing each other through what's going to be a, just an explosion of mental health. Mm-hmm. And if not to, not to sound like I'm endorsing, but I mean, that has been a pretty big piece of the, the green party platform. Um, and, and I think, I don't know if the liberals have, but I certainly know the NDP have, uh, this is where there's some common ground, want to make mental health care part of OHIP mm-hmm. as well, which is a conversation I never would have thought would have happened before. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a mix too of what I love about green party is when you vote for it, you get what you voted for. Mm. If you're voting for our policy climate, all of those things, as we win seats, you get that. Whereas there's no chance that someone green's getting their seat. And once they have their seats, like eh, climate change, never mind. I know I said that, but I'm not actually going to do it. You know, whereas these other parties, yes, you know, you're in a very desperate moment where anyone's willing to say anything. Um, the one thing you can count on is that green is going to show up, you know, for their mm. platform when they get their seat. And you just can't count on that from really anybody else. It, it, history would tell us so your vote would not be whipped and i believe i know this is a policy plank in the federal green party that uh no votes are whipped votes and so that will be the same in the provincial government if mike has uh, a caucus that is bigger than him in right in queens park right <laughs> um I guess, you know, practically speaking, I mean, if, you know, you are lucky enough 
for the, the people of Wellington Halton Hills to choose you to represent them. And, you know, maybe there's a couple of other green candidates who will be as lucky as you uh, and, and Mike, um, what does a, like a real green caucus in Queens park look like in terms of like the advocacy efforts? Like Mike will talk all the time about his, his successes, but I mean, how, how does a, how does like a, I was going to say a real green caucus, but that's, that's not quite fair, but you know, how does having like a team in the legislature affect, uh, affect, that that process do you think well what i say to some of my lovely blues is <laughs> if if you're worried about blue issues they are well represented you will have your hundred seats proportionally there is not enough green representation for the amount of green issues so the benefit of bringing in a more diverse group who i know it ends up being kind of fighty and maybe we're going to keep working towards that not being the case, but at least you're bringing people in with different thoughts, different ideas and say, as they go around to the regular discussion, there's the ability to put a green thought in there and say, well, did we think about this when it finishes? Oh no, we didn't. And can we think about this here? Like it brings awareness, it brings accountability. It brings, um, you know, it to the table to be considered at the moment, you don't wanna go back and add it in after, that costs too much. You want that person that can have the different thinking and you want, if you can, you're running the government, you want a whole bunch of different thinking, right? This is the, the best thing about diversity. If we can embrace someone having a different thought than us and not feeling the need to overly control things, like great, that's a great thought, great, we didn't think of that, great, that we need that piece, you know, that's going to move a lot smoother, that's going to address, again, what Green Party is all about is just addressing the full cycle of thing and the full impact to the community, and breaking it down to a community level, Mm. right, so I say to my riding, pick the person that's going to see and address you on the community level, because you can give your vote to Ford or you can give your vote to whatever, they're not coming back down here, right? Right. We're going to do our own plan, hold our space, fight for what we need and and make it aware and make it heard. And then then I see Wellington Halton Hills as becoming a leader in the community. You know, the same way they're borrowing other ideas, the same way they can say, hey, that worked out really well. You were brave enough to go first. And we're in a really good position to be brave enough to go first. Wellington Halton Hills is a big place. So there's a lot of work to do for you before election day. So um, what do you, you know, what do you think you have to do in order to, to win? What's um, what's your, these last few weeks, what, what's your strategy? So I have been incredibly lucky as a green. I've had a huge team. We have canvassed thousands and thousands of houses. We have had the ability to keep up, you know, financially in a way we never did before. Um, We have Mike speaking amazing and, and great policy coming out at a great time. So we're really playing for a moment and for opportunity. You know, I would want every person in Wellington Halton Hills to know my name, to know a choice. That would be a failure to me if after the election, someone said, 
I didn't know you ran in the riding. Then I'd be like, you know what? <laughs> I messed something up then. Everybody's got to know my name. Everybody's got to know that I'm a choice. Um, and anybody who is even the slightest bit green needs to know that now is the moment to vote green. There is no throwaway vote. This is the time. We're strong. We're ready. The amount of people I have canvassed that have green connections, green education, green jobs, green children, green values, green hobbies, you know, more people than they don't realize what good company they're in until you try to talk to everybody. And every single one of them says, well, I wanted to vote strategically or this. There's 20,000 green votes here. If you just voted green, you'd have a seat. So I hope that anybody who ever wanted to vote green, anyone who's ever thinking about it, you know, goes for it this time. And if it doesn't work out, you can go blue next time again, right? <laughs> Let's take a stab at it right now. You're, you're going to have your 100 blue seats. Come back to green. We'll see how it goes. Give me my four years. If I don't produce for you, you can have your blue guy again. So you're saying uh, openly you are making the case that voting green is a strategic vote. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Here, here in Wellington, Halton Hills, it, you know, it is, I, you know, I'm, I'm next door to Mike and, and I feel the strongest, strongest choice. You, you are, you are the Mercury to his, his son in the center of the green solar system. Yep. We're in it together. <laughs> We're in it together. We need a few more and it would be a great team. I, it would be a lot of fun and uh, I would be very productive. So I would really look forward to representing Wellington Halton Hills in that way. Well, we'll see how it shakes out on, on June 2nd. And uh, Ryan, good luck on the campaign trail. It was great talking to you today. Ryan Caro, uh, thank you for appearing on the podcast. Thank you so much. And once again, that was Ryan Caro. To learn more about her or her campaign, you can visit her website at R-Y-A-N-K-A-H-R-O. Dot com. That is Ryan Caro, all one word, dot com. Election day is June 2nd. Advanced polls are indeed now open, and you can consult the Elections Ontario website at elections.on.ca to find where you can go to vote if you are ready to vote. There may be at least one more edition of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast, and if there is, it will be posted here next Saturday. For all of the Guelph candidates, tune in to Open Sources Guelph every Thursday at 5 p.m. on CFRU 93.3 FM or download the podcast version on Monday. And that is it for this edition of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast. The music for the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. Don't forget the A. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out Guelph 
politico.ca where there will be a new episode of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast for you next week, perhaps. But until then, we'll see you next time.